Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. right into the glory of God today. Amen. So good. Just so pumped. Yeah, that was a word. Like Mary Pat gave us a word right there, man, for sure. So good. It it, it really genuinely feels like that the spirit of the Lord is moving today in such a sweet way. Would you agree that the spirit of the Lord is moving in a sweet way? I'm about to destroy that. You remember all that sweetness that we just agreed upon? No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm joking, but I am going to resume our miniature sermon series on the topic, you ready for it? Of politics and government. Okay, that it's happening, okay? So whether you're ready or not, it's happening. So just please buckle up. And just give me a lot of grace, okay? And let's just come before the Lord this morning with an open heart and an open mind. And we all have our opinions and we all have our perspectives. But could we agree collectively as a family to simply be open to God's opinion and God's perspective? Amen? Amen. So here's the thing. I have opinions, but they really don't matter. And I know that you don't like to hear me say that because if you come to church here, I am your pastor and I know that you care what I think and I appreciate that. But at the end of the day, my opinion really doesn't matter that much. What matters a ton is the opinion and perspective of God. Anytime we have a cultural clash and a situation that we need truth on, The response that we are to have is to go to God's Word and unearth timeless truths for our current circumstance and situation. So that's my goal today, church. You may disagree with me. You may say, hey, you are so far off, and that is okay. We can still be connected even if we disagree. What do you guys think about that concept? Being friends with somebody you disagree with. (laughs) Right? How many of you guys are going to be friends with folks who voted different than you after the election? (laughs) You're moving in a different spirit choosing to do that because I don't know if you guys have checked, but... There's been a lot of division. There's been a lot of disgruntlement. There's been a lot of hatred. There's been a lot of separation. There's been a lot of really just all kinds of no good things in the midst of this conversation. And um, I've had a few people tell me this week, I can't believe that you are preaching on politics. Like, really? Like, you're a pastor you know I've had a pastor actually say you are just way more courageous than me and I'm like I never thought that by before what do you mean and um and he was like no just preaching on politics like that takes a lot of courage and I didn't really think about that to be to be quite honest with you I just thought about this 
it's what all of you are talking about outside of this building anyway. So I just figured like it would probably be a good idea to see what the Word of God has to say about the thing that literally fills our mind like 90 95% of our day right now. <laughs> I just, I want to talk about in here, whatever we're talking about out there, because I want what God has to say to us today uh, to remain relevant. We can be Christians in our actual lifestyles, not just in our belief systems. Would you guys agree with that? So you guys ready to get started? Okay, that was an intro before the intro. So we'll start now. If you have your Bible, go ahead and please open it up to Romans chapter 13. We are going to be talking today from the topic of God and government. God and government. Very simple title for a pretty simple message, to be honest. I'm going to do my best to just be straightforward and direct regarding what the Bible has to say about this topic. God and government. So if you're in Romans chapter 13, we're going to begin with verse 1 and read all the way to verse 7. So if you're there, say, I'm there. If you're going to read it off the screen, say, amen. amen. Let's go. We're in unison. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. We've already got controversial, haven't we? Very first verse of Romans chapter 13, we have introduced a big challenge. Now, let's consider the context in which Paul is writing to the church at Rome. Rome is being governed by an evil, sadistic emperor named Nero that killed Christians for sport. And yet here is the apostle, this super apostle, this missionary apostle Paul writing to the church and saying, be subject to the governing authorities. I want you to notice that Paul did not say worship the governing authorities. He said, be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. There is no authority except from God. If you're going to extract anything from this passage of Scripture, I want you to connect to that right there. There is no authority except from God. This is where authority comes from. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God. Pause for the cause right there. For the authority, Paul says, 
are ministers of God. Are you kidding me? You mean to tell me that people who are in governmental authority are ministers of God? Are you serious? Really? Is that shock anybody that Paul would say that? That they are ministers of God. Now, how many of you guys know we have ministers in other places like the church? Right? But in the church, we not only have really good ministers like the ones at Legacy. Thought I'd just sneak that in there. But in the church, we also sometimes, unfortunately, have bad ministers, right? And so God says, look, here is the office of those in government. They are, in their own respect, in ministry. Now, some of them are good. Some of them are bad. But that does not change God's charge for us to submit ourselves to them and to honor them, right, and to bless them, and 2 Timothy says, and to pray for them with intercession, with supplication, for us to be passionate about our blessing of those in authority over us despite our disagreements with them. Now, in this last season, I have heard these seven verses of Scripture quoted so much, my head is about to spin. And usually, they are quoted by people who are really passionately in support of our current president. That's great. I'm stoked for you. Now, if we have a new president, I would like for all of you who have been quoting this passage with such passion to please keep that same energy. Right? Are you guys cool with that? I I got a little bit more controversial right there, didn't I? But this is just how it goes when talking about politics, right? So therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. But for because, I've already read this, of this you also pay taxes for the authorities, our ministers of God, attending to this very thing, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed. See, the Bible here is talking about good citizenry. Just because you are a citizen of heaven doesn't give you license to be a terrible citizen of America. Wow. Okay. Maybe I should say that again. Just because you are a citizen of heaven, everybody say, that's me, doesn't give you permission to be an absolutely atrocious citizen to America. Okay. So... Some of you guys are stoked on that. Others are like, where is he going with this? I get it. Uh, Pay to all who is owed. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Uh, Don't steal from people. Uh, Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. That means we honor those in authority over us. Even when we disagree with them. And here's how you know it's Christian. Especially when we disagree with them because, hey, come on. Jesus said that we are supposed to love our enemies and pray for our enemies. And I know we have so many of us as Christians today that are shouting in church on Sunday morning, I love God. I love God. Hallelujah. I worship you, God. Well, you know how love of God is proven? Love of neighbor. You know how love of neighbor is proven? Love of enemy. That's it. If we we love God, 
then we'll love our neighbor. We'll obey what God has to say to us about those whom he's called us to honor and to respect. And we'll do it in spite of our temporary perspectives, our circumstances, or our opinions. Is this too, is this too hardcore to start? We're just getting started here. Now listen, I'm resisting the temptation to preach from this passage in an expository manner because there is a lot line by line that we could go through and I would like to do that at some point. Today is not that day. So put up, I know, put a pen in this passage and I want you to read it through a couple of times this week for homework. Now in regards to honoring those in authority, I was thinking this week about honoring those who are in authority. I was thinking this week about the commitment that Paul charges us with to have a good, positive, healthy, encouraging relationship with our civil government. I was thinking about that. And I was recollecting on my experience as a child growing up in elementary school. Every single day I would get out of my desk. I remember this in second grade. I'd get out of my desk I would stand up next to the desk. I would look at the flag on the wall. I'd put my hand over my heart, and then somebody would come on the loudspeaker, and they would recite what we refer to as the Pledge of Allegiance. Did you guys growing up doing this? Maybe, maybe not. Do you guys remember the Pledge of Allegiance? All right, let's test it. I pledge allegiance to... Which it stands, one nation, under God, liberty and justice for all. Give yourselves a round of applause. Way to go. Way to, that's awesome. Good job, guys. Well, well done. I, I remember that. And, like, how many of you guys, when they do the national anthem, like, you get a little teary-eyed sometimes? What is it about the song? Is it, like... Is it patriotism or is it just like when someone's singing really good? You know, I don't know. Um, but I was remembering these things and I was, I was remembering the fondness of these experiences as a kid. Because I really, really enjoyed doing that as a kid. And as a child, you're in school and you're being taught to do this. And really what they're instructing you on how to do is to daily renew your covenant commitment to the nation that you are a part of. Right? That's, that's what they're teaching you to do. And I remember as I got saved and became an on fire, passionate, born again lover of Jesus, I was like, I ain't doing that no more. I know you guys are all judging me. Okay, calm down. Um, I was like, I'm not going to do that because I'm only going to pledge allegiance to the kingdom of God. <laughs> No one thinks this is funny because some of you are here right now. And it's okay. You have no clue where I'm going with this. And it's all right, okay? It's okay. So I just remember for myself, like, I really began to struggle with the idea that I, as a kingdom citizen, would pledge allegiance to any kingdom aside from the kingdom of Jesus. I mean, honestly, I've struggled with that pretty hardcore. And it wasn't until I dove into some of this study did I realize Man, the Pledge of Allegiance is actually pretty good. And here's why it's good, okay? Here's why it's good. So it was written in the late 1800s by somebody that wrote it for the sake of many nations, not necessarily America alone. They wrote it for young people. And then in the 20s, uh, it got amended and adapted to include uh, the flag, 
the flag of the United States of America. Didn't always include that portion. And then I believe the year was 1954 and President Dwight Eisenhower included those two words under Right? Now, here's why I think the pledge is pretty cool. Because it is under God. And in reference to the word covenant, covenant, covenant is very similar to a covering, covering. So whenever uh, President Eisenhower decided to amend the Pledge of Allegiance to say, we are one nation, I'm like, that was actually wise. That was wise. I, I, this is one of the primary reasons I think it's good that our kids would continue to recite the Pledge of Allegiance because to have a pledge of, a le pledge of allegiance, or to say it in another way, a covenant commitment to your nation, okay, is not an American concept. Okay, listen, I know, I, I know, like there is, there are some, there is some real temptation to resist anything and everything patriotic, either because of our poor experience with folks who are that way, or because as Christians, we're standing in the place that I've been for a while, which is I ain't pledging allegiance to nothing but Jesus. I get that. But a covenant commitment with your country is not actually an American concept. It's a biblical one. It really is. It is. Israel. <laughs> you, guys remember, you guys remember the nation? <laughs> uh, anyways. Um, so, point made, right? Um, but no, there, there, there are plenty of covenants throughout Scripture. We have different moments in which laws, covenants, constitutions are given. But we can consider the personal covenant. How about the personal co covenant that you have between God? It's one of the covenants, right? Uh, how about your family covenant or the covenant of your marriage? Right, that's a covenant. You know, God is all about some covenant. Covenant in marriage. Amen. Um, what about your church covenant? Oh, now, yeah, I know. Got real quiet, didn't it? I'm just going to let it get awkward. Um, your church covenant, which says, hey, I've not only been born into a natural family, but I've also been born into a spiritual family. Right? We know Psalm 66 and 8 said God sets. Right? The lonely in families. Right? So God wants you to be a part of a spiritual family. Amen? Amen. You're not always going to like everybody that's a part of your family. There is no perfect church. There is no perfect family. It's so funny to me. People will come to church and they'll say, I'll make a commitment to this church, you know, so long as I meet all these great people. You didn't even have that in your own home growing up. You didn't choose your siblings. You were born into that family, and I think it's very similar in the church. You get born into a family. You don't choose all of your siblings. Some of them you don't like. Some of them you disagree with. Some of them you don't vote the same way as. But you're in covenant. Is this going anywhere so far? But you're in covenant. You're like, man, I don't even like you. 
but you're my brother. So we're going to have to figure this out. I, I don't like how you feel about politics. But you're my sister, so we're going to have to figure out how to work this out. I don't like how you feel about hot topic issues. But we're family, so we're going to have to figure this out. I don't like the way you think about coronavirus. Well, I don't like the way you think about coronavirus. Well, sorry, we're family, and I ain't going nowhere. So we're just going to have to figure out how to make this work because we're in covenant with each other, with the Bible, which the Bible supports. Now, today we don't understand covenants very well because we live in a culture of radical individualization. So basically what we say, if it ain't good for me, then I ain't going to be a part of it. But that goes against the grain of what God stands for as he, as he prescribes covenants to us throughout the Old and the New Testament. And then that's where I'll come to the national covenant, covenant uh, consider Israel, where the people of God, where believers, people who are in a relationship with God, are being told, are being commanded to seek the peace and to work for the welfare of the country that they are settled in, even if that country is being led by a demon of a dictator. That's just the Bible. So look at Jeremiah chapter 29 real quick. We all know that uh, chapter pretty well, but verse 7 in the English Standard. Uh, oh, CV. Pray for peace in Babylonia. Okay, Babylonia, real quick. Babylon is an evil, uh, terrible, adulterous, uh, nasty culture that, that's being led uh, by some really terrible folks, and yet the people of God are living in exile far from their homes. They've been trafficked into a different nation, the nation of Babylonia. And yet here we have Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, giving a prescription to the people of God and saying, pray for the peace in Babylonia. Not if you feel like it, if you like the person in power, if you, if you voted for the person who won. No, no. Pray for the peace in America and work hard to make it prosperous. Okay? The more successful that, na that, that that nation is, the better off you will be. Now that, that is, okay, I'm just giving you the scripture, okay? I'm not giving you a ton of opinion today. At least that's my hope, my goal, all right? Um, but this right here, scripture, we can apply that, uh, fill in the blank, take out Babylonia, put in USA, right? This is what Jeremiah is commanding us to do from God. And so the Bible is endorsing, endorsing covenants, uh, uh, personal, uh, family, marriage, uh, church, spiritual family, and national, is that God expects us, wherever we're settled, wherever we live, to work hard to make that a better place for everybody, even if they don't vote like us, even if they don't subscribe to the same religious beliefs, even if they're a different culture, even if they're a different race, like we're working really hard so that everybody can have a prosperous human experience. That sounds a lot like indivisible with liberty and justice for the Christians. Right? And so I, I really, this is why I think the pledge actually pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good pledge. Covenant, under covenant, right? Coming under the coverings, kind of like an umbrella, yeah. right? It may rain, but you don't get wet. 
Because you, have, you are covenanted with God. Therefore, you are protected. You are under the hand of God. And you are blessed as a result of the covenant that you've made with God. Now, with, the, with those words, indivisible. What does that word even mean? I always thought as a kid it meant invisible or invincibility. You know, I was like, what is indivisible? Like, it's not able to be divided. Okay, if you look at the state of the world today and simply compare it with this elementary fundamental pledge of allegiance that I made in second grade at Waddle Elementary in Madisonville, Kentucky, I think that we could all agree that, man, we are very divisible. <laughs> so you guys hate that I just said that. I'm so sorry. But have you watched the news recently? You know why? Because we're not under God. So here's the thing. When we come under God, here's what becomes a possibility. Indivisibility, liberty, and justice for all. Question, how is it possible for a culture of humans to live in a space together and be indivisible with liberty and justice for all aside from being under God? There is... Is, is that possible? I think, I think we, if, I mean, human history. Let's attempt to look at any country, any government, small, large, any society, any culture that's been able to accomplish anything, even consider Israel. You cannot look at it and say, you know what? They have crushed it without God's involvement. It, you, you're not going to find it. You, you can look at the Bible. You can look at the history books. You can look at wherever you want to look at. And here's what we will always note. Anytime you bring God closer to a person, the less chaotic and the more ordered their life becomes. Anytime you bring God closer to a business, anytime you bring God closer to an organization, anytime you bring God closer to a church, anytime you bring God closer to a government... All throughout Scripture, here's what you get. You get more order and you get less chaos. That's what you get. Now, anytime you push God away from a person, what do you get? Less order and you get more chaos. You push God away from a business. You push God away from an organization. You push God away from a government. Here's what you're going to get. You're going to get less order and you're going to get more chaos. And it's a guarantee every single time. Don't believe me? Look at Romans 1. That's, that's, I didn't have time to just read all that scripture. But listen, Romans chapter 1. Look at what happens when people say, you know what we would like? A society without God. So what is the result? Decay enters the society. That's the result. God says, hey, I've turned them over. Decay can enter in. Can, can enter in right? So the question that I have is that why do we as Christian people want Jesus to be Lord over every single area of our lives except for our politics? Because if God has asked us to work for the welfare of our society, our responsibility as Christian peoples is to invite Jesus' lordship into every sphere of society, into every place we have influence, and for those that we don't, to pray for God to invade those spheres so that there is more order, so that there is less chaos, so that there's less division, so that there is liberty for everybody. So that there's justice for everybody. How in the world are we going to have justice for everybody without being 
Seriously, how? Do, are, are you watching the news? Do you have Facebook? Delete it, please. No, I'm just kidding. Do you have, no, it's like, do you have Facebook? You just, it's all division. No, there's no justice. No, this group, this group, you were all fighting. No justice, no liberty, no freedom. It, okay, what, what's missing? You want more order? No? Okay, keep God out. You want, you want, you want more order? Yes? Okay, invite them in. It's a pretty simple prescription, and it comes to us straight from the Bible. It's not even something I'm making up. I didn't pull it out of a poli-sci textbook. I pulled it out of the book. It's right here. Psalm chapter 33, verse 12. Let's read this. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. That means that the Bible literally gives us permission to make a covenant with God as a country. Now, how many of you guys have heard the spooky stories about other nations making covenants with Satan? Christians will believe that before they believe that a nation could make a covenant with the living God. Well, their, their country so but they made a pact with Satan. Well, stop, okay. Um, what, what if we could just what could we make a covenant with God? Possible? I mean, I, I, I love that you guys are saying yes, because we got a whole lot of people who read the same book we do, and I'm not knocking them. I just think that because of the culture war, we've come to a point to say, let's just leave God out of it. That is the worst idea. Let's just leave God out of it. And you think it's going to get better? Look, we gotta do, we're going to do everything we do. You know, we do all the Jesus stuff on Sunday, but we're going to compartmentalize in such a way that this aspect of society, the one that actually matters a whole lot that affects the way that we live on a day-to-day -day basis, that affects the world that our kids are going to grow up in. We're going we're to leave God out of that because it'll get better by us ignoring it and hoping that people will come to their senses, stop arguing, and decide to be indivisible on their own. News flash, we sin. This isn't going anywhere, is it? News flash, we sin, right? That's what the Bible says. If we were to say, I don't sin, then we would be a liar and the love of God is not in us, right? That's what the Bible literally says, right? We sin, we make mistakes. People get into authority, and even if they're believers, they still mess up. Right? So we invite God into government to say, God, could you please articulate a structure and a strategy that would help us keep power checked enough to have indivisibility with liberty and justice for everybody? Would that be possible? God, we invite you into it because we want something better than what we currently have. And I think we could all agree on that. But that, that's not what culture is teaching us right now. Because culture wants to keep us settled in our camp. Right? Because without the Lord, the only gratification that we can look forward to is smashing somebody else with a pithy tweet online. I'm right and you're wrong. Okay, you need the Lord because all of your value and your identity is flowing from your political party, from your political posture, from your political perspective that only proves how self-righteous that you are. 
without loving the other person long enough to dignify their humanity. God has called us to do life in a different way. And Christians, if we are to truly have a healing society, we must invite the Lord into the places of culture where healing can flow through. Consider the power of policy with that being said. Am I completely disrupting your day? Is this helping at all? Um, so I just, this is where I'm at. I'm like, okay, God, how do, we, how do we as Christian believers work hard for the welfare of Nashville? How do we invite you into every sphere of society so that you might bring blessing? Not, that, not so that, you, that we would get attention. Or try to prove our, our own political party or platform. Or try to prove that our faith is better than... Fill in the blank. Because this is not an us versus them, them competition. This is us aligning with, God, with what God is already doing and saying, who is God on the throne, King of kings, Lord of lords, forever and ever. Like we read Joshua chapter 5 last week, right? Are you with us or are you for our adversaries? God said, no. I'm not on your program, but you're invited to be, get on my program. <laughs> Hang on, no, you get to heaven, we won't vote. Right, hallelujah. There's no polling box up there, right? Jesus on throne. <laughs> Look, I get into a lot of trouble doing this because, um, you know, talking like this, people start to wonder, are you advocating for a theocracy? Is that what you're advocating for? Are you advocating for a theocracy? And um, that's a joke, right? Because too late, it's already a theocracy, okay? The world is already ran by God. Agree? Yes? No? Okay. Here, check this out. Uh, Psalm 22, verse 28. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. So, too late. It's already theocracy. Uh, but I get, I get the hesitation, and what you're referring to is an ecclesiocracy, okay? An ecclesiocracy, which basically states that one faith gets to govern and rule a society entirely, which is not what I'm advocating for, and it's not what we are a part of. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. There are many, many people, actually most people in the world, live as part of cultures like that, and they don't have the responsibility and the privilege that you have to vote. I mean, if anything, well, here's what I've learned through this study. Guys, looking through world history, we are very blessed. You look through the other cultures of the earth right now and, and you look at the need that they have for God and you have to look at where we live and you have to say, I am grateful. Well, I'm blessed. You know, there was somebody who came up to me afterwards in the first service and they said, man, I just got the opportunity to vote. I've been here for 20 years. Like you don't know like the blessing that it is uh, to become a citizen. Like you guys don't take it for granted. Please tell everybody like what a privilege it is. And it is. And we should remember that and have gratitude. Because we get to vote. And you know what's so great about voting? <laughs> this is such a controversial message. And I'm so sorry. I'm not sorry at all. But, like, you know what's great about voting is that we, we get to invite the Holy Spirit into the, the, uh, the practice of voting with us. And as a Christian, we don't even have to vote for a person. 
yes, we are going to vote for a person, but we don't have to vote for a person primarily. We get to ask the Holy Spirit how to co-labor with him in the ballot and say, here's why I'm here. I'm here because I'm, I'm being obedient to what, you know, Scripture said. Hey, I'm going to work for the welfare of the city, so I'm here. I'm participating. I'm a good citizen, right? I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to bless my community, right? And, and here's where I'm here. Holy Spirit, help me. Help me. Because I'm here as a kingdom citizen, and I have one priority, gl the glory of Jesus and the expansion of his kingdom. So, Holy Spirit, show me how to vote because I'm here for the glory of Jesus and the expansion of his kingdom. So, help me. And even if we voted for different candidates, we could still vote from the same framework. I understand. Listen, I understand. It's controversial. But that's why we're saying, hey, depend entirely upon the Holy Spirit. Depend upon the word. What does the Bible have to say? Speaking of, uh, of covenants, constitutions, right? We know that God gave Moses a constitution, didn't he? It didn't come in a papyrus scroll. It came on stone tablets, right? And, and in that covenant, there were ten... Come on, you guys help me. There were 10 amendments, <laughs> right? We had 10 commandments. Uh, and then from those 10 commandments, because God is saying, here is how you do life. Here's the 10 amendments. So uh, there's a nation called Israel. You're my people, and there's a blessing in that for you. You're my people, so you're in covenant with me, so you are covered by me. Amen. And here are the 10 primary rules of engagement for how you are to live life, not just individually, but collectively as a society and how you are supposed to govern the tribes, the regions, the cities, the states, whatever you want to call them. Okay, here's how you're supposed to govern. And then from that, there were actual laws, which were ordinances and statutes, and there were 613 of them. And what they were, were an administration of the 10 in specific life circumstances. And then God says, after he gives the covenant, after he gives the constitution, after he gives the law, after he gives the 10 commandments, after he gives the 613 uh, laws, he says this in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 9. Carefully follow the terms of this covenant so that you may prosper in everything that you do. Wow. Carefully follow the terms of this covenant so that you may prosper in everything that you do. So what is God advocating for here? He said, look, I, God, want to bring my presence into how you order your society. But in order for me to bring that presence and to bring healing and to bring wholeness and to bring uh, indivisibility. These are biblical themes, by the way, right? This lady in the late 1800s didn't invent these, right? Indivisibility with liberty and justice for all. Here, I'm going to give this to you. And if you will obey them and you will apply them, then you're going to get my presence. So here's what I need you to do. Remember, this is not about you simply stating with your lips that you are a Christian nation and saying that my person is welcome within your government. But you are also bringing not only my person, but you're also bringing my policies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we're getting tricky. Right, have I lost you guys? 
And now you're bringing my policies. Now you're bringing the Ten Commandments. Now you're bringing the 613 laws. Now you're bringing the statutes. Now you're bringing the precepts. Now you're bringing the ordinances. Because how we are called to live life and govern a society matters to God. And here's the thing. He wants to be involved. Why? Because he's already Lord of all. And he's looking for our acknowledgement, our co-laboring, so that we can bring the kingdom of heaven on the earth as it is in heaven. We're not getting the kingdom of heaven on the earth as it is in heaven by simply involving God's person because God's person comes with some policies. Oh, no, I can live however I want. I'm, I, just, I just say, hey, I just belong to God. Okay, well, great. It's going to show up in how you live. And here are the policies in which you will live. And if not, then you should be careful about, you know, the religion that you say you subscribe to, which is what Jesus was saying when he was like, hey, they, they, uh, they agree uh, with their lips, but their hearts are actually far from me. And we, we have a lot of folks who live like that today. Would you agree? The CEOs, right? Christmas and Easter only. You know what that? They come to church Christmas, Easter only, right? I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. You know, well, what about this policy? Uh, my opinion is. Oh, okay, cool. Respect, respect, respect. Okay. But can we build, man, I've gotten way deeper than I expected, but can we build, thank you, can we build good policy on opinions? No, genuine, I'm just, I'm sitting in the seat of an, of an asker. I mean, genuine question. So that's great. You have an opinion. I respect your opinion. I dignify you as an image bearer. It's, I love that you have an opinion. I have an opinion too. Okay, so which one do we build policy on? So whose opinion gets to be the most important and whose opinion will produce indivisibility with liberty and justice for all? So which one? It's going to be impossible. Tell me how you build a culture that is indivisible with liberty and justice for all built on opinions. I, is it possible? Do you guys think it's... I'm, I'm asking. Look, I'm not trying to preach at you. I'm genuinely asking. You, is it possible? Mm, probably not. Probably not. You know why? Because humans are naturally self-absorbed, self-centered, and sinful. So they're going to look out for their own before they look out for somebody else. They're going to look out for their own group before they look out for another. And there is no way that liberty and justice can flow for all if it's simply built on the perspective and opinion of one particular person or group. It has to be built on something that's bigger than the individual. And it has to be built on something that is timeless. And it has to be built on something that is true regardless of the circumstance or situation. And there's only really one thing that can hold that kind of weight on its shoulders. I happen to have it right here today. It's actually here. It's called the Bible. Have you guys heard about this book? My opinion doesn't matter at the end of the day. Your opinion doesn't matter at the end of the day. You know whose opinion matters? God's. So what does God have to say about how it is that we are supposed to govern a society? Guys, we have to be a people that is truly dependent upon the word of God within the culture wars. Because that is the only way that we will be able to survive them. 
That's the only way. It is the only way. You know why? Because the Bible is the only thing that can support the weight of the grief that we experience when we engage the culture wars. You do it another way, you'll get exhausted. You do it another way, you get burnt out. You do it another way, you get depressed. You do it another way, you get anxious. You do it another way, you turn into a terrorist. I mean, that could, you know, just saying. Like, Yeah, no, I'm getting way too, like, intense. Um, I, I, okay, let's lighten it up a little bit. Hey, did you ever see, did you ever see Inception? Did you guys ever see that movie Inception? No? Uh, the Dreamboat is in it. Leo DiCaprio. Leo, you know, Leo. There he is. What a stud he is, Leo. I personally like Denzel Washington the best, so just I throw that out there. Um, Denzel is so dope. <laughs> just like the way he moves and the way he walks and just, just he's, a, he's a dope old man. I want to be like, I want to look like that and dress like that when I get older. But nonetheless, I digress. Leo in Inception. You guys remember this movie? I, I watched a little bit of it this week because I was thinking about it. And uh, you see what he has there? You guys remember what that was called? You guys didn't actually watch this. Why are y'all lying to me in church? Did you, did you see this? It's called a totem. Everybody say totem. It's all called a totem. So, okay, if you, rem if you remember the premise of the movie, it, it kind of goes like this. So Leo, he will go into people's dreams to uh, understand how they think. You guys remember this? And, then, and sometimes he would like plant thoughts or he would try and create memories and, uh, you know, when he would get deep into their minds uh, to try to change real life outcomes. You guys remember this? It's a crazy movie. I don't even know if it really makes sense. Uh, it's super weird. Um, but sometimes Dreamboat Leo would get so deep that he actually didn't know if he was in a dream or he was in reality. Like he could not even discern, is this real? Is that real? Is that true? Is this true? And come on, guys, that's exactly the question that everybody's asking right now. Yeah. Is this true? Is that statistic true? Is that true? Is that policy real? Is this true? Did he really say that in 1984? Is this true? You see what I'm saying? Like, what is truth, right? It's the exact question that Pontius Pilate asked to Jesus right before his crucifixion. What is truth? Think about that. What is truth? That is really the question that is on the forefront of the minds of our culture right now. What is truth? And that's what Leo's trying to discover in Inception. He's trying to figure out what's true. And, and sometimes he goes in so deep that he takes this totem right here because this totem is, is an objective uh, tool that he can use to determine reality. And so he takes the totem and then he spins it. And if the totem keeps on spinning, then he realizes he's in a dream state. And then if the totem wobbles and falls, he recognizes that he's actually in reality. The reason I'm sharing this as an example is because I would like to suggest to you that you need a totem. Because we are living, in a very real sense, in inception. We are struggling, like Leo, to... What is real? What? Oh, uh, what's true? What's real? What's reality? What's a dream? What is fake news? What? You know, what is real? Uh, 
what's from Russia, <laughs> what's from China, what, you know, it's like, we're all, we're just trying to, right, we're trying, is that real, is that, that re- you know, is that big tech, are they policing me, is somebody trying to tell me the truth, but it, uh, is this a conspiracy, it, are aliens real, is Joe Rogan right, you know, it's like, we're, right, you need a totem. You need something that you can depend upon to objectify reality. So, yeah, I mean, I heard that. So the Bible says. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so the Bible says. And I know that's difficult because you know what's going to happen if you really take policy, if you really take politics, if you really take people, if you really take all of those factors and you spin the totem, (laughs) pick up the tool, (laughs) right? Uh, Here's what I can guarantee is going to happen. You're going to find some truth that you disagree with, that you don't like, and it's presented in a way you don't prefer. But your job as a Christian is to say... Okay, so don't like it, don't prefer it, would prefer it be a different way, but truth, truth, so truth. So I'm going to live my life to the best of my ability and the grace that God has given me according to this. And if it's not that, then what do you choose? Genuinely, what do you choose? Because even people of the same religion are in incredible disagreement with one another. And, you know, we can share what I heard, what I feel, what I say, what I sense, what I had a dream, what I got a prophetic word, what I had a vision. Even those things will clash. But at the end of the day, that is why God has provided us the anchor of Scripture to say, look, this is a safe foundation to build on. There are some things in here that you're not going to like what it says, but... Go on a journey with God into the scriptures. Become a student of the Bible. Look it up in the original language. Look it up in the historic context. Look up how people have interpreted this over hundreds of years, over thousands of years. Look up what your favorite preacher or pastor has to say about that passage. Become a student of the word. And I think the reason why we've been so conflicted in the culture wars is because we are prayerless and we don't actually read the Bible. I mean, just to keep it super simple, right? But if we'll pick up the Bible and we'll get in prayer, I can promise you this. We'll be well-fed spiritually and we'll have enough to share with other people, particularly when they're insulting us for not agreeing with them or going along with their energy in the midst of what they deem to be the most important issue of the moment. Because there's, there's enough issues for all of us to pick one to be passionate about. But if your passion is different than mine, then that doesn't mean we have to divorce. You know, but here's what it does mean if we're going to be kingdom worldview people about it. We agree. Yeah, let's go to the word. I, I, I don't see that, what you see. I know you don't see what I, let's go to the word. Let's talk through it. Let's connect on it. Let's dive deep on it a little bit, right? 
So we can do that. <clears throat> the Bible is the totem. Look at Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20. It says, look to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict His Word are completely in the dark. Wow. Right? Look at Psalm 72 and 11. May all kings bow down to Him and all nations serve Him. So what does this passage reveal? It reveals God's desire to be involved in the leadership of nations and the authorities of nations, kings and nations. And even if you look at the Great Commission, the final, the final prescription of Jesus, if you will, the Great Commission. You know, you look at Mark chapter 15, you're going to get a version of the Great Commission there. And what is Jesus going to say to his disciples? He's going to say, go and preach the gospel to all Creation, actually. Sorry. I didn't set you guys up for success there. Creation. Everybody say creation. Preach the gospel to all creation. So what is, what is uh, Mark alluding to there? He's talking about the individual. Now, when we think about evangelism, we so often go to a person, right? So you're like, okay, I need to go preach to a person. I need to go witness and testify to a person, an actual individual person, and I need to get them saved and disciple them and see them be transformed so that they can actually step out, and then they can do that for somebody else, and they can evangelize to a person and disciple a person, right? I mean, we often think about that, and that is absolutely the Great Commission. That comes to us from Mark chapter 15. But consider what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, when he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, nations right? So he's not necessarily talking about just the individual, although that we know nations include individuals. But the question here is, how do we not just disciple people, but how do we follow what Jesus said and disciple whole nations? Now that is an... Have you ever thought about that before? That God's assignment includes nations? Why is it that every tribe, every tongue, every people group, every nation will gather before the Lord? Go home, more homework. Read the book of Revelation. You have literal nations coming to Him in the book of Revelation to worship Him in heaven. God doesn't say, oh, you guys are all the exact same. Forget anything that you connect with in regards to your nationality. No, he welcomes the diversity of the nations. He welcomes that. He says, okay, bring the nations, right? We, you see a spot and a speckled bird kind of describing the diversity of the nations in the book of Revelation. There's a lot of weird pictures in the book of Revelation, right? But there, there's that diversity of the nations is that God wants nations to belong to him. God wants nations to be discipled. God loves nation. He loves it. He loves it. So we need to be aware of how we are to fulfill the Great Commission to disciple nations. And I want you to know, I think it's probably impossible to transform an entire society without the influence of the gospel of Jesus on the political sphere. I don't think it's actually possible for us to fulfill the assignment of the Great Commission without involving Jesus into politics. Guys, listen, that's a bigger statement than you might recognize I'm making uh, right now. 
I think it's impossible, and you can label this my opinion, but I think it's impossible for us to actually fulfill the Great Commission keeping God out of the political sphere. Because God's called us to transform nations, and I don't know how you do that without adapting, uh, implementing, or overthrowing policies that don't connect to what the Word of God has to say about how God wants to lead and redeem whole societies of people. All right. I should be done, I think. Um. So I, let, me just give you a, let me just give you a kind of a final thoughts. Um, here's my one point of the message. Um, I didn't have this written down before, but I just thought maybe if you're taking notes, you probably want to write something down. Number one, uh, and God wants to be involved in government. How about that? <laughs> God wants in. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Right? He's like, I, I, w- I like to come in and extend my kingdom and my blessing. I'd like to come in and cover and protect. And I'd like to come in and bless. You know, Mary Pat started us off today with like, hey, but let him in, man. He stands at the door and he knocks. Let him in. So who's going to be those that are going to pioneer into the political sphere that are going to get in there? And maybe you got to get in covertly. And then when you hear the voice of the Lord and the hand of God, you let him in. Who who is going to become the next gatekeepers of the culture of society that are going to say, God, you're welcome here. Lord, you're welcome here. Come in with your lordship. Come in with your rule. Come in with your reign. We think about that in every other sphere. What about the entertainment industry? What about Hollywood? Who's going to pioneer in there and say, here you go, God. I just, I'm, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord, right? And say, here you go, God. There you go. I'm letting you in. Come on in. Come on into entertainment. Come on into education. Invade my college university. Invade my high school. Come in, God. Come in with your lordship. Come in with your love. Come in and crash in. Who's going to pioneer into politics and say, man, this is the place where God is like really not welcome. And there are some people here who talk about your person, but they ain't cool with your policies. But you know what? Like me as a Christian believer, I'm going to come in undercover and I'm going to stand. I'm going to come in, God. God. People are like, how did God get in here? <laughs> and he starts bringing goodness. And he starts bringing grace. And he starts bringing transformation. And he starts bringing breakthrough. I mean, I want to know, who was the person that said, come on in, God. And God got in there. And then Kanye got saved. And it's like, hey, come on in, God. And then God got in there. And then Justin Bieber's in revival. You know what I mean? Who was the person? I don't know. Somebody was. You know, where are you going to open a door? Because if you're not full-time at this church, like, and even if you are, but if you're not, like, you're called to open that door in some sphere. Because you know what God says about you? He says the same thing that He said in Romans chapter 13, that you are a minister, which is the word servant. It's uh, diakonos in the Greek, which is where we get our word deacon for. You are a minister 
You are a dispensary of the grace of God. And you pray, kingdom come. Let your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. So wherever you're at, just know this. God has prophetically positioned you to stand at the door that he is knocking at for whatever sphere of society that you are currently touching. Let him in. That's the moral of the story. God wants in. Wherever you occupy, you occupy for a purpose. It's because God wants in. God is so, uh, in the best way, jealous to bring His rule, His reign, His grace, His goodness in that department of society. So He put you there so that He could knock on the door of your heart and you could say, come on in. What if we started thinking like that? Then we'd all be missionaries. Then we'd all be, uh, you know, like kingdom detectives. <laughs> then we'd all be undercover. You know, then we'd probably all end up in spaces where we're looking around saying, how the heck did I get here? I don't have the favor for this. No, but Jesus does. And he just asked if you'd let him in and you said yes. And so he brought you to that door saying, open up you gates. Open up you doors. Open up so the King of glory can come in. God wants every door. He wants every sphere. He wants every gateway. He wants every department. He wants every place in every place. He wants to come in and He wants to reign there. And He wants to rule there because that's what the cross paid for. So that the Lamb could receive the reward of His suffering in every single realm of society. God didn't come just to redeem us. He came to redeem all things. And that includes all of society. That's what the Bible says. So let's stand. I got to close. You know, I, I, I shared the story in the first service and it, I think it bears uh, mentioning again. Um, I don't know if any of you guys in here from the UK, but uh, the UK has uh, a queen, queen of England. We got a picture of her actually. And... Uh, Have you guys ever seen that picture? But she's in a hoodie and driving a range. I respect that. Um, I like that. Uh, Queen of England right there, guys. And, you know, the thing, the thing about the Queen of England, Queen of England, uh, Queen of England is very, very honored. Very respected. It's our queen, man. Did you know that when the queen leaves, they lower the flag at the, at the castle or wherever she lives? <laughs> You know what I'm saying. She comes back, they, they lift the flag. I mean, dude, she is honored, man. Like, she like knights people. Can become a sir. You know, it's like pretty dope. <laughs> Our next encounter night. <laughs> With the Bible. <laughs> the actual sword. Um, I mean, like the queen is like super respected, right? Like it's a, it's a really, really big honor to meet the queen. Um, but you know what, what's interesting about the queen is that the queen actually has no governing authority. Um, she doesn't create any policies. The prime minister actually creates all the policies. And even though sometimes they'll go and they'll talk to her and they'll be like, hey, queen, um, we made these 
I'm assuming this is how the conversation goes. We made all these rules and these laws and, and these policies, and we're just telling you about it. How do you think? Yeah, it's great. Good job, guys. Or no, I don't really like that. Okay, cool. We'll remember that, that you didn't like that next time we get it. You know, yeah, we'll. So it's almost, in a, in a sense, could be potentially somewhat patronizing, despite the fact that they really do honor her. They really do say, man, it's a queen, man. This is the queen. She has no governmental authority. So oftentimes we treat God in the exact same way. Oh, yeah, honor. Oh, it's the Lord. He's the king. Um, we're, we, got, we got it. We're going to figure it out. Uh, we deputize ourselves to try and figure out how to do all the policies and procedures and the laws and the politics and the government. But like, hey, just so you know, God, we made these decisions. I don't know. You like that? Oh, you like that? You don't like that? Okay, all right, cool. Well, we'll remember that at some point in time in the future. We'll get back to that. We're in charge over here. Yeah, there has to be more than a simple Christian confession to say, um, you know, Jesus, you're, you're the king. No, no, we have to involve not only his person, we have to involve his policies. We have to consider that. We have to consider that. And we have to, we have to take that consideration. If I could be so bold, we have to take that consideration. Then we have to step into the polling place and cast our vote. Why? Because we're co-laboring as kingdom citizens with the Holy Spirit to say, I'm including God's person and God's policies and how I do this, and I'm doing that for a reason, and that's because I believe in the glory of Jesus, and I want the advancement of the kingdom of Jesus, and so those things are going to inform how I participate. Did I successfully not offend anybody in here? I'm, yeah, okay. Amen. All right. If I did, I repent. I'm sorry. I love you. Um, if the Word of God has in any way unsettled you today, uh, not just my words, but the scriptures that we read, go home, get with the Lord, build a relationship with the Word. It's important. So Lord, we just ask that you would bless each and every one of us as we participate in this cultural moment. Uh, we declare like Psalm 15 says, God, we will not be shaken because we are kingdom citizens. I want you to go home, read Psalm 15 as well. If you read the New American Standard Bible, the header of Psalm 15 says, a description of a citizen of Zion. Wow. Read that. Let that inform your politics. Lord, we thank you, God, for your goodness for us, and we thank you for your protection over us in the midst of this season. We just say yes to you. Yes. We open the door. We open the door for you, God. You can trust us, send us in, however you want. We're here to be cooperatives, co-laborers. We're on assignment as ambassadors. Help us, God. Help us keep our love on and forgiveness high and mercy plentiful. We bless you today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen, and amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.